Hello, everyone. Good morning. Um, hope you're all doing well. Welcome. Glad you're here. My name is Brennan. I'm a worship and young adults pastor here at Eaglemont. Um, let's just jump into the sermon, shall we? Uh, I'm excited about doing this series. This series is based on uh, the latest book by John Mark Comer. It's at least our, one, our um, kind of main resource. It's called Live No Lies, and it's uh, just a hugely important topic. He's one of my favorite authors as well. You could check out Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you want a great book that is like easy to read while also communicating uh, really deep, important topics, which is the best, because there's some books I've tried to read and I've, I've been meaning to for years, and they're just hard to get through. These are not, which is great. I'm not the best reader. So if you're like me, you can probably enjoy it. Uh, this series is about trying to battle against the lies that we believe, the lies that we're told or that we tell ourselves that lead us away from the way of Jesus. Okay, so we're on the second week of this three-part series. Last week, Pastor Marlowe spoke on the devil. This week is on the flesh. And then the 26th, it will be on the world. If you weren't here last week or aren't going to be here the 26th, I just encourage you to check out those sermons on uh, YouTube or uh, the audio is on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts as well. All three topics just kind of work together. So it's so vital to understand each part um, of the three enemies of the soul how they kind of work together and how they affect us and how to combat them. So you might be wondering why this series is important. What does this really mean? Why is this relevant to our lives? And here's why it's important. Okay, so because what we believe, whether that is a lie or the truth, what we believe shapes what we do. Okay, and what we do shapes who we are becoming and who we become. It is our ideas and beliefs about the world, about God, about ourselves, about everything around us that creates the reality or the unreality that we live by and that we live in. So, you know, what happens a lot of the time, instead of basing our lives around Jesus and, and, and his way, we put our faith in things that are not true or that are straight up lies from the devil like we learned about last week, who wants to bring you harm and pain. And if these lies are lived out, those lies brings, bring destruction to our very souls. Dallas Willard, who's an amazing, who was an amazing philosopher and Christian um, of the last century, he said, that, he said this. He said, we truly live at the mercy of our ideas. Again, the ideas that we believe shape how we live and how we live shapes who we become. And as a follower of Jesus, we are called to become like Jesus, to be with him and to become like him. So who we become is so, so important. And so the ideas we hold can either do so much good or bring so much harm into our lives and the lives of the people around us that we have an effect on. So, and, you know, even if you are here today and you aren't a follower of Jesus, you also probably have this deep desire to become a loving person. But who you are is a result of how you live and how you live is a result of what you believe, which is why truth is so important. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 8, 31 to 32. I've heard that verse, you know, probably a million times growing up in the church. Uh, you know, you, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It sounds very nice. It's a catchy verse, great sounding verse, 10 out of 10. Um, you know, who doesn't want to be free, right? But what does that mean, though? Like, I never really thought about the implications until doing this topic, until writing this sermon. The truth will set you free. 
Well, then what do we need to be freed from? Well, it's the lies. Jesus knew that better than everyone. We needed to be freed from the lies that we believe. Because the lies that we believe trap us. The unreality that we live, um, that we live by actually creates this spiritual slavery where we are trapped living in a lie that shapes us. Again, how we live, how we think, who we are. We live in a way that fights against how we were created and made to live by God. We live at war with reality. And reality does not adjust itself to our illusions. These lies, when believed and lived out, are, are, uh, they sabotage our spiritual formation into the image of Jesus. So that is why we're here. That's why this series is, is hugely important. That's why this book's important, um, to call out the lies. So today, join us in this battle, this war against lies, so that you can be free to be formed into the image of Jesus. So if you missed last week, again, I encourage you to go uh, listen to it later, but I'll give a quick rundown of the first enemy of the soul, just so we can kind of understand how these can work together. Um, so the gist is that, you know, in the Bible, and we, in the Bible, and Jesus teaches, and we just believe, uh, even though many people might not, that the devil and demonic forces are real, and that their primary goal is drawing you away from God. So Jesus taught about the devil. He said this. He said to John 8, 44, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the main way that the devil goes about drawing Christians away from Jesus is through lies. That's it. That might not be our first thing we think about with the, the devil's schemes, but they're that's what it is. They're lies, and they're destructive, and they work so well because maybe there's an element of truth to them, or like we'll learn, they, they kind of speak to what, our, what we already kind of want to believe that's against the way of Jesus. And, you know, we might not think or ever have ever considered that we're all kind of under attack by the devil or demonic forces. That might sound crazy, might have never crossed our mind, but that is the truth, and we need to change our thinking as followers of Jesus, to realize this reality. The, devil's, the devil lies to us, and we believe these lies, we live them out, and they destroy our lives. Last week, Pastor Marlowe taught, uh, he taught us that winning the war against the devil is about believing God's truth over the devil's lies. Okay, so that's, that's the devil. Just a quick summary. Now, we have two other enemies of the soul. And the issue is that those two other enemies are also kind of working in tandem together with the devil's lies. You know, um, we also have the flesh and the world. Those are the two other topics. And uh, this is John Mark Comer's wording of how those all kind of work together. He calls this his working theory um, of the three enemies. He says, the devil speaks deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires, which is in our flesh, which are normalized in a sinful society, the world. Now, when we say sinful society, that is a, just simply a statement of reality, not one of you know, hate or condemnation or judgment from us towards the world. As Christians, we shouldn't have you know, a reaction of hate towards people of the world. We shouldn't hate the world for living in ways we wouldn't, or you know, we might feel like uh, the, uh, the world's corrupting our children. And Although I don't envy the struggle of trying to raise kids in a very unchristian society, that's not the reaction we should have to the world. Um, our enemy is, is the devil. So uh, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, 11, 12, 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against people, they are not our enemy, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But uh, the struggle and the issue isn't just not believing the devil's lies. It's the fact that our flesh, our sinful nature, as we'll talk about, wants to believe these lies. You know, we have these desires that are, that are disordered in us, and they cause us to fall victim to the lies. And to make matters worse, when that happens with a bunch of people in a culture, in our world, those lies become normalized and even praised and taught, you know, this is the way you should be living. So we fall victim to the world's teaching on how we should live. You know, there is a reason, John, John Mark Comer talks about this, that there's a reason that following Jesus can feel like such a struggle sometimes and like you're battling against something, like there's a resistance and something fighting us. And that's because there is. That's because we are up against enemies of our very souls. We're in a battle. We're in a war. And we're called to fight against it. You know, we might not be comfortable with the kind of the war metaphors, and especially in our society. But, you know, that's not a bad thing. But it's something we see again and again used by the writers of the New Testament. Because I think that it's, it's a metaphor that just wakes us up to the reality you know, it calls us not to just float idle through life, but to be on guard and to fight against the enemies of the soul. Not a war, of course, of guns and bombs and whatever. It's not against people at all. Again, it's a war on lies. And we're called to fight that. So how do we fight becoming like the world, the flesh, and the devil, and living out those lies? Well, simply... This might be a surprise to some of you, by becoming more like Jesus, right? I know, super cliche, Christian, of course that's the answer, but there's, there's a way to do that, okay? There's a way to live like Jesus and to learn how to live like Jesus, and that's through what the Christian tradition calls spiritual formation and through spiritual disciplines. Uh, the thing we need to be aware of is that whether we pursue, you know, the path of Christian spiritual formation or not, Spiritual formation is happening. We're all being formed throughout our lives, intentionally or not, consciously or subconsciously. You know, we're all being formed. Every decision we make, everything that happens around us um, puts us on a trajectory. It changes who you are, who you are becoming. So the question today to ask ourselves is, who are we becoming? We want to become people like Jesus. We want to make sure that we are on that path. Okay, so now let's get to, with all that said, even though I kind of just summed up the whole series and sermon already, let's dive a little deeper uh, and get specifically to what this message is about. It's about the second enemy, the soul, the flesh. So um, when the Bible is referring to the flesh or the, the biblical authors, they're trying to communicate this idea, well, okay, most of the time, let's say, sometimes the flesh in the Bible can just mean like your body, right? It's used that way sometimes, which makes sense, just your physical body. And, but its main use is more to speak to the sin nature that is in all of us. Or the maybe animalistic kind of cravings that are in each of us. Not that our, our, not that our physical body is a bad thing. It's just our physical body is just part of us. Our sin nature is in our body, our mind, our soul. That's in kind of our whole being. 
Um, so, yeah, it's not against the body, but the flesh is mainly referring to just the brokenness, the sin nature. John Mark Homer explains the flesh this way, and uh, it's a bit of a long quote, but I couldn't explain it better, so I just took it. Basically, he says, it's our, the flesh, it's our base, primal, animalistic drives for self-gratification, especially pertaining to sensuality, as in sex and food, but also pleasure in general, as well as our instincts for survival, domination, and the need for control. Desires that are in all of us. In spite of the humanistic atmosphere all around us, constantly telling us we are good, we all know we have these desires we don't know what to do with. Because they don't match the cultural messaging we hear all the time, we often feel terrified the truth will come out. Or we feel shame over our inner lives or even a kind of self-hate. But then he says, that, but the New Testament is incredibly open about the dark underbelly of the human heart. And we are invited to explore it under the loving gaze of God's compassion. Uh, let's just look again at Comer's working, uh, working theory of the three enemies of the soul to learn a little bit more about the flesh. Again, he says, the devil speaks deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires, which are then normalized in a sinful society. So he refers to the issue of the flesh as disordered desires. Now, this wording actually comes from St. Augustine of the 4th century, who is one of the most brilliant and still influential like, um, early church thinkers and leaders. He, he taught that since the fall of humanity, the main issue of the human condition is disordered desires. Right? He taught that, now listen to this, he taught that because humans were created in love and for love by God, we do not live by rational thinking. We live primarily from our desires. Okay, as much, of, as much as we all like to think that we are completely rational and given all the facts, we will always make the right and perfect decision every time, that's unfortunately simply not true. And you know, as Christians, I think, you know, followers of Jesus, we should be aware of this probably more than anyone. How often do we know what we should do and what will lead to a better life and, uh, you know, better for, for us and for the world around us, but then we don't do that. We do the opposite of what we should do so often. You know, um, the, the, ir the irrationality of humans has been shown kind of study after study since, since the 70s, I think, that started to kind of uh, be more known. And at the time, it was, it was a pretty big shock to the world, especially post-enlightenment, where thinking is like the highest quality of a person, and that's what we thought we just all do. We, we think rationally and critically. Um, but actually, our decisions are much more likely to be led by our emotions or maybe based on the people around us and kind of what we hear a lot or led from unconscious desires or from a gut feeling or the flesh, like the animal-like desires of our body. And right now, some of you are probably thinking, yeah, you're right, some people are so dumb. And yeah, 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 those people, they're completely irrational. Yep, I know, not like me. Okay. Whether that's true or not, this isn't about other people. Let's just self-reflect for a moment. This is about learning who we are as humans, all of us, as much as we maybe, yeah, some of us are probably more rational than others, true. Um, but we're all still irrational in a way. And that's, that's not a bad thing. In fact, I think it's a good thing because that's how God created us. We are not just brains that calculate things. We are hearts that love. 
And, you know, our, of course our mind is important, but it's actually not what normally leads our decisions. Let me read that idea from, from Augustine again. And uh, this is not a direct quote, but just a summary of ideas. But Augustine taught that because humans were created in love and for love by God, we do not then live by rational thinking. We live primarily from our desires. He said that we are lovers first and thinkers second. Okay, and he was 16 year, uh, 1,600 years ahead of his time. We live primarily from our desires. Again, that's not a bad thing. That's how we we're created to live. What, what, is, what is a bad thing is when we live like we're completely rational, critical thinkers while ignoring the disordered desires and the disordered loves that are within each of us. Comer says, in the Augustinian view, the problem of the human condition isn't that we don't love, it's that we love either the wrong things or the right things, but in the wrong order. When our desires are disordered, it wrecks havoc on our lives. You know, like, it's, it's awesome if you love your job and love going to work, but not if you love your job more than your family. That's a disordered desire. If, if money or your career comes first, that's a disordered desire. It's, you know, it's okay to love and enjoy a good TV show, um, but not if that love is greater than you love Jesus. Not, you know, not if, not if that always takes over your time with God, causing the relationship to decay over time every time you choose and love entertainment more than God. Our desires are disordered, but the way of Jesus brings those desires back into alignment, into order, and it brings you into beautifully balanced life. Not, not saying all at once, of course, but as you become more like him and take on his heart and his life, you know, Jesus lived with his desires in the right place, and he lived as a person full of love, joy, and peace, and he wants us to have that as well. Now, the world's messaging, uh, especially the Western world's messaging on desire and what we would call the flesh, is to follow every desire of your heart, right? It's to be your authentic self. Instead of self-control being praised and, and valued, it's seen as, as almost wrong by some people to deprive your body from anything that it desires, anything that could bring you pleasure. You know, things are said like, follow your heart, do what makes you happy, be true to yourself. It's the idea that um, our true selves is just made up of whatever we desire. That our bodies know what will bring about our best life and happiness, and we just need to follow every desire to get there. Okay, but this, this argument um, that your true self is found through your desires falls apart very quickly because all we have to ask, and we have to self-reflect a little bit, and all we have to ask is, which part of me is my authentic self? You know, which desires? We all have different competing desires. You know, usually one more surface level, more instant, more pleasure focused. What we would say is the flesh. And also some of, that's not always bad things. It's like the flesh is like, oh, I need to eat. That's a little bit of pleasure. That's kind of instant gratification. That's fine. Um, unless that becomes your whole life. You know, it's like, there's a mix of things. So it's not always bad things, but that's still the flesh. But then we also have uh, deeper desires that we know will probably lead to a better life, a more fulfilling life. But to get there takes discipline and is usually harder to get to. The surface one is chasing instant gratification, you know, different pleasures, uh, diff sensuality, whatever. And the deeper one is, is usually feels like it's pursuing what will actually bring us joy. 
Comer calls this the war of loves. The fact that at any moment there are multiple desires that are at war within us fighting to be the most important. Desires that lead us into two very different ways of life. Martin Luther King Jr. said the same thing. He said in every one of us, there's a war going on. It's a civil war. We're just, we're complex creations with competing desires battling within us. You know, uh, many of you are, are parents, and I know that you want to raise your children well and teach them to walk with Jesus, but, and that's a deep desire and part of your life, but I'm sure that sometimes you have a pretty strong desire to just lock them in their room, lay on the couch, watch TV, take a nap, and let them fend for themselves for a while, right? You have that? Maybe, hopefully you don't, you don't do that, but that probably comes in your mind every once in a while. There's a desire that's just like, I don't want to do this. So what self is the authentic self then? The self that wants to neglect your children or the self that wants to raise them well and love them? What self is the authentic self? What self are we supposed to be? The self that wants to be healthy or the self that wants to eat a few bags of chips? The self that wants to make a difference in people's lives and love them? Or the self that wants to binge watch all four seasons of Stranger Things again instead? The self that wants to spend time with God in prayer or, or the self that wants to scroll through Instagram or TikTok? The self that wants to be generous and help the less fortunate or the self that wants to buy that brand new car? The self that wants a committed and loving marriage or that self that wants to lust over other people, watch porn, get a divorce, have an affair? What self is the true self? And our culture doesn't answer that question. We all, I think, in all of us, there's this deep desire to do what's right, to do what's good, and to be loving people. But many or most times, maybe, there's a stronger desire to sin, a stronger desire to put ourselves first in every moment, a stronger desire to gossip, to put others down, to envy, to be greedy, to lie, to lust, to hate, and you know, be part of a division instead of unity, to chase the next pleasure, the next, the next high, instead of what is actually good. And that is the flesh. And when you think about it, following your every desire and being true to yourself in, in, in the way that our culture teaches is just terrible advice. And it falls, apart as, it falls apart so quickly as an argument for the way to live a good life. Because our culture says we should be loving people, but then tells you to follow every desire. Those are two opposite things. Because loving people is putting them first. Following your every desire is putting yourself first. Simple as that. Because, um, you know, Comer says that, that not all desires are created equally. And again, our culture doesn't, doesn't address that. Unlike, unlike our world, the Bible, the Bible has a view that differentiates between these two desires. Let's read from uh, a letter from Paul in Galatians 5, 16 to 18. It says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So there is a war between the flesh and the spirit in each of us. So we talked about how the flesh is the you know, innate animalistic-like desires, and also like the sinful nature. The spirit here is referring to God's holy presence that is at work in us and pulls us towards the good and the true. 
And deep down within each of us, there is that desire. I, I think, you know, maybe there's, there's some people in the, in the world that have done so much wrong and are just so against God that they no longer feel those deep desires. But I think for the majority of people, Christian or non-Christian, we still, we have these deep desires to be loving people, to make a difference in the world, to help other people. And that's the Spirit's work within us. But, um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, people want to be, you know, want to be people of love. We want to be content and happy, full of joy. We want to be at, at peace no matter what life is like. There's this longing and this yearning in each of us to align our lives with how we are created to live. We feel that deep within us, which means we actually ache for God himself and a deep relationship with him, whether we realize it or not, whether we're following Jesus or not. We are made in the image of God and there's that longing to align our lives with it. Because deep down we know that that will be actually what's good for us, actually what will bring us um, into a life of joy and peace. So, so um, the spirit in these verses can kind of refer to a in my head, it's kind of a strange mix of God working in us as Christians. You know, we're given the, you know, through the Holy Spirit that we are given because Jesus died for us and we accepted that relationship. And, but it also kind of refers to just deep within each person, the true nature of humans and those deep desires that are long to be aligned with God and with the way of Jesus. Um, you know, I, I think we, we know that, you know, even if we have these good deep desires, again, we still struggle to act in line with these desires. Instead, we follow the ways of the flesh. And that's because, as John Mark Comer says, our strongest desires are not necessarily our deepest desires. That's what we need to understand. Our strongest desires in a moment are not necessarily our deepest desires. In many cases, it seems like the animalistic desires of the flesh are so much stronger uh, than the deeper desires we have. Even if we know it's wrong, even if we know it will bring consequences, we fall victim to the strong desires of our flesh. So how then do we live out our deepest desires, the ones in line with the call of Jesus? Well, let's look to the Bible and, uh, and see. This is what Jesus told his disciples. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This is just the opposite of our culture and our world. You know, to deny yourselves the things you want is seen as wrong. It's almost seen as evil. Um, but to indulge your flesh is destructive. It does not lead to the life that people think. The more you feed, you know, your flesh, you compulsively kind of have to keep feeding your flesh. And compulsion turns into addiction and turns into us being out of control and being ruled by the longings of the flesh. You become a slave to it where you no longer have the sin or the self-control to stop it. But the way of Jesus, the way of self-sacrifice and denial is the way that we learn how to actually live out our deepest desires. To live a life that we can be proud of, to live a life that is bigger than ourselves and, and focuses on loving other people and seeing God's kingdom work here on earth as it is in heaven. And, you know, there are many people in this church that have done that for many years, and you just see their maturity and their contentment and their joy in this life because they've crucified the flesh over and over again in their life, and it's allowed them to then come alive to God. 
to then follow the deepest desires, the desires that are good. The verses that we were memorizing as a church um, a few weeks ago are so important in this conversation as well. So let's keep those words in our minds and continue to memorize these verses and return to them. You know, memorize them if you haven't. Um, it was Galatians 5, 22 to 26, and we're just going to read that again. But the fruit of the Spirit, so what comes from following the ways of the Spirit and not the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Such, such a good passage to memorize, such, a good, such good verses to have with us in our minds. So again, I just, I want to encourage you to read this book, to pick it up, because um, there's obviously some stuff that we couldn't cover in, in this series, and I couldn't cover um, in the chapters that I was reading. So just a, just a couple sentences to sum up the ideas that I couldn't get into, um, that I just want to touch on. In some of the chapters, Comer talks about how, you know, with the flesh, if you feed it, it only grows, it only grows stronger. But if you starve it, if you have, if you sacrifice if you pick up your cross, like Jesus says, if, if there's some self-denial, your flesh shrinks and it loses its power and allows you then to follow more and more your deepest desires, more and more the way of the Spirit. And then he goes into the idea in a different chapter that, you know, how important, again, our ideas are, how important our choices are, because our choices become our habits, our habits become our character, and our character is who we are and shapes who we become. Our choices shape um, yeah, our choices shape who we become and our choices are formed by our ideas, which again is why this series is so important to go through, to stop the lies that we believe, to stop living out those lies. And again, to bring back, to come back to that quote of Dallas Willard, we truly live at the mercy of our ideas. That's so important. What ideas are you at the mercy of? So again, we live at the mercy of ideas, which is so, why it's so important, so important to be reading God's word, to be abiding in the spirit, because that is how we will know the truth and can then recognize the lies and be set free by the truth. So to close today, sorry, I'm going to try to talk quick. Uh, to close today, how do we fight against the power of the flesh? Okay, well, the answer isn't willpower. It's not go out tomorrow and just try really hard to be better and, uh, you know, just go try really hard. The answer is not willpower. It's to rely on the Spirit's power, to open your, yourself up more and more to the Spirit's power, which is done through different habits. We can learn different spiritual disciplines. That's the key here, is, is walking the way that Jesus walked. Uh, every spiritual discipline helps us to be more you know, empowered by the Spirit to live more and more like Jesus. Things like just reading your Bible, prayer, silence and solitude, community, Sabbath. Uh, there are other different ones, and I really, really suggest reading Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster to dive deeper into understanding those practices of Jesus, into applying them to our lives. It's such an important book for Christians to read. It's so practical. Um, yeah, but there are a couple practices specifically that Comer suggests for 
overcoming the power of the flesh, that just do a, maybe focus a little bit more on that. And uh, ones that have been missing in modern Western church tradition recently. So you could obviously easily do a whole sermon on, on each spiritual practice. So this is just a quick, quick overview. So first is fasting. Fasting is one of the most alien practices for the modern Western church to, today. Comer says that, uh, you know, in the, in the post-enlightenment intellectual landscape that we live in, where human beings are seen as thinking things, uh, he says, the idea of of drawing on the Spirit's power, not through your mind, but through your stomach, just sounds absurd. And, and I get that. I really, growing up, had no idea why people fasted. Um, yet, un- until kind of recent church history, it was always a core practice of the early way of Jesus. For the first three to four hundred years, the early church practices twice a week. There is uh, there's the idea that has kind of pervaded Christian thought, I think, that goes against this. It's the idea that our, our body doesn't matter, or some might think that our body itself is evil, but I think the former is probably more prevalent. You know, but I, we are much more holistic than we tend to believe, I think. Body, mind, spirit, soul, whatever, they're all, if they're all separate parts at all, they're all part of one being, one creation. Everything has an effect on the other. So the Bible teaches that everything we do with our body, uh, the things we think in our mind, it all matters. Right? Which is why fasting actually has an effect on our ability to become like Jesus. And Jesus fasted to become more empowered by the Spirit, to resist the devil's lies. You can read that in the first few chapters of the Gospels. So we need to do that same thing. Fasting is a practice of starving your flesh and having control over it. So we can choose then the way of Jesus. It's a practice of just practicing, not getting what you want telling your body that it doesn't always need to get what it wants and, and teaching your body that. And at first, it might be difficult. You might just get hangry. Um, maybe this is, you could also practice this during a silence and sol- or a solitude day so you're not taking this out on other people. But um, as you practice this, you will learn how to be empowered by the Spirit and to have control over the flesh and it'll get better and, and easier. Maybe start by just going without a meal every once in a while uh, I think it'd be great if this practice moved to weekly for us, whether one meal or a whole day. It's something that kind of seems so foreign to do that, but it does get easier. And I've, I've only recently kind of practiced this. It's very new for me. I'm in no way an expert, but I've realized that like, you know, after you get past the first meal, your hunger doesn't stay and just get worse and worse and worse. It kind of just goes up and down. So it's not terrible for like the whole time. <laughs> um, but Part of the reason for fasting is to starve the flesh. The other part is to free up time to pray. You know, uh, cooking, sh- grocery shopping, cleaning, it all takes a lot of time. Um, so this can free up some time to pray and just connect with God. And uh, yeah, in the Bible, prayer and fasting is always just kind of tied together. So make sure that there's some time of prayer, that there's a time of listening and being with God. And, and just one more note, note uh, this is a practice of giving up food. That is the way that this is taught in the Bible. People say, oh, I'm fasting TV or junk food or social media, all awesome things to do, but that is not the biblical practice of of fasting. That is just abstaining from something, which I'm all for. It can really help if you're feeling addicted or overrun, you know, can help bring balance back in life. But the biblical practice of fasting is going without food. That is the way that we should also be practicing this. So the second discipline is confession. Another practice of Jesus that is not common. Uh, The confession of sin is, though, it's a powerful 
biblical practice of the way of Jesus. Not something Jesus had to do <laughs> because he was perfect, but that his disciples did. But, you know, that is taught in the rest of the New Testament. And the Protestant, the Protestant tradition kind of scoffs at the Catholic tradition probably more than we should. And yes, their, their maybe confession that we think about isn't perfect. Uh, there's no really account, there's no accountability. It hides your identity. And there's certainly been abuse of that practice in the past by the Catholic Church, which is probably why the Protestant tradition swung the other way and just kind of ignored it and forgot about it. But, uh, you know, at least the Catholic tradition tells another human, which is a little bit closer to what it's supposed to be. Uh, many times we just say sorry to God in a prayer and, and that's it. And again, that's a, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to talk to God, talk through everything about your life. It's not a bad thing. Um, but confession of sin biblically is to another follower of Jesus in your community. Someone who will walk with you and keep you accountable and speak truth and life over you and encourage you. And that is powerful. That is life-changing. We can't expect to keep things kind of hidden and buried down and ashamed of things and expect them to just go away. Ignoring things like that will only give them strength. Um, you know, sin, although, loses its power when it's brought into the light. And when there's a community of people to walk with you through that. Again, we're, just, we're made for community. The life of Jesus, the way of Jesus, cannot be done outside of it. So get into a, a small group when they launch again in the fall. Not that you'll have to be asked, you know, first sit down with a new, bunch of new people. Okay, so what's your deepest sin? That's not going to happen. Don't worry about that. Um, but this is just a way that you can find deeper community, that you can find relationships that you can be honest with people with. Find, so I encourage you, to small group or whatever, find ways to grow in relationships with other followers of Jesus in our church older, younger, whatever, find a mentor, become a mentor, and disciple others, have a good uh, close friend or a group of friends or mentor or someone that you can really trust, that you can walk um, through the deep wrong in your life and be honest with people. So confession of sin has always been, again, a core practice of the way of Jesus. Um, not, just not in the modern Western church. We've kind of lost it, and it's, it's time we bring it back. And it's time that we no longer give our flesh such power over us, but bring things into the light. And I'm just going to end today with one bit of a longer quote from the book again that just sums up kind of everything we talked about. So Comer says, we must, guard, uh, we must guard against fleshly desires which wage war against your soul and the many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. We do this through the practice, practices of habit. Through our regular acts of mind and body, we either sow to the flesh, in doing so further entrench ourselves to slavery to it, or we sow to the spirit, or think of like investing in ways of the spirit, and we increase then our capacity to live freely and joyfully with God in this world. Therefore, we must run every habit, every thought, every relationship, everything through this simple grid. Does this sow to my flesh or to my spirit? Will this make me more enslaved or more free? more beastly or more human. Remember, the key to spiritual formation is to change what we can control, which is our habits, to, inf to influence what we can't control, our flesh, the thing we need the Spirit's power for. So let's just pray for our church today as we try to live that out. And today, if you want to accept the way of Jesus, so you can just become free to live out your deepest desires of your heart and the desires that are put in you by God when he created you. Um, you can do that in this prayer, but let's just pray um, today for ourselves that we'll just be able to, to live this out and to no longer live the lies in our flesh.
Let's pray. God, we just thank you for today. Jesus, we thank you for this church, this community that we have. Lord, we pray that each one of us, God, will walk in ways of the Spirit, that we will learn day by day to God, to crucify the flesh, to give up the things that we might want for greater things. Jesus, we pray that you will help us as we grow in spiritual disciplines, as we grow in the ways that you taught us to live, in the practices that are so important to becoming more like you, to winning the war over the flesh and the lies that it can speak to us. So God, we just pray for your Holy Spirit, that you, that you will move in greater and deeper ways through each one of us. Help us to be open to that and just to follow you in every step of the way. And Jesus, we just, I just pray for the people that are making that decision to follow you right now. God, we just, uh, we take that step of faith and, and we just say, God, thank you that you loved me, that you died on the cross for us, God. And we just accept this relationship with you. And we choose to walk with you every step of the way, Lord, and help us throughout our lives again to not just follow every desire of our flesh. But God, we just pray that our lives will come more in line with you and who you are and who you made us to be and, and how you made us to live. Thank you, God, for this day. And thank you, Jesus, that you are with us as we walk through this life. Amen.